two friends, Bill and Tom, were drinking coffee in an all-night cafe, and they got into a discussion about the difference between irritation, aggravation, and frustration. About 1 a.m., Bill said to his friend, he said, Tom, I'll show you an example of irritation. And he pulled out his cell phone, he dialed at random a local number. The phone rang several times, so finally a sleepy voice answered the phone and said, hello? And uh, he said to him, uh, is, uh, I'd like to speak to Jones, is Jones there? The guy said, there's nobody here by that name and hung up the phone. He said, uh, that's an example of irritation. About an hour goes by, it's 2 a.m. now, he picks up the cell phone again, he says, now I'll show you an example of aggravation. Picks it up, dials the same phone number, same sleepy voice answers the phone, and he says, is Jones there? This time, maybe not quite as polite, he says, there's nobody here by the name of Jones, and he hangs up the phone. He goes, that's an example of aggravation. About an hour goes by, it's 3 o'clock in the morning now, he picks up his cell phone, and he says, now I'll show you an example of frustration calls the same number. The same guy answers the phone. This time he's a little more upset. And uh, this time the guy on the other end says to him, hey, uh, this is Jones. Have I got any messages this evening? <laughs> yeah, now that's frustration. You know, we live in a world that's filled with people who have an uncanny ability to continually test our patience. The story that I told reminds me of an incident that took place in our home last week. We had some friends who came to visit us from Atlanta, Georgia. They were on their way to uh, Palm Springs area, Palm Desert, where uh, the husband was to play in a golf tournament. And because we don't get to see them that often, they decided that they would come a day before, make reservations a day sooner. They would come to our home. We would spend the evening together, would have dinner, they'd spend the night, and then they'd head on their way for their golf tournament over the weekend. Well, they arrived at our house about 4.30 in the afternoon on Tuesday. They were supposed to be down in the desert sometime Wednesday afternoon, and so we had the evening together, but they arrived with something missing. They were missing their luggage. Their luggage, all their clothes, and the golf clubs weren't there because as they were leaving Atlanta, they had to get changed to another plane because of mechanical difficulties, and, and uh, so anyway, they were switched, and they got to come out to L.A. a little earlier, which was great. We had more time to spend together, but there was one thing they were missing, and that was all their clothes and golf clubs. But uh, so they were assured by the airlines that they would be at our home, delivered to our home by 10 o'clock that evening, and don't worry, everything's under control. So we go to dinner, we have a great night out, we enjoy each other's company, we come back, and it was the night that the, uh, I, the Texas, uh, no, it was it the Virginia Tech and the Florida State game was on, so it was a great night for the guys. And uh, so we got to watch that, and about, oh, let's say, it was, they were guaranteed the luggage would be there by 10, about 9, 9.30, our guests start to fade because of the time difference, it's after midnight now, their time, and they're getting tired. And so, being the giver that I am, I say to them, hey, go head on up to bed, and I'll wait up for your luggage, because after all, it's supposed to be here within an hour. So 10 o'clock comes by, and there's no knock at the door. 10.30, there's no knock, 11, there's no knock. 11.30, there's still no knock at the door. Midnight, there's no knock, no phone call. One o'clock in the morning, I'm thinking, you know what, I think I probably should go to bed. And uh, so I go to bed. At 3.03, the phone rings. Sir? Yes? We've, uh, yeah, we can't find your place. No, that's not what it was. This is uh, Delta Airlines. Just called to tell you, we've located the luggage. Say, well, hey, that's just great. What time will it be here? Oh, sir, I don't have that answer. 
Well, who will have that answer? Someone else will be calling you in the morning to tell you what time we'll deliver your luggage. Have a good evening, sir. What? What was that? You know, and, and the phone happens to be strategically located on my side of the bed, and that's something my wife did uh, very strategically. Uh, she hears the conversation, she rolls over, she says, what, the, they didn't tell you what time the luggage is coming? Oh, no, the other department will be calling in the morning. I was like, what in the world? Can't you not just wait till the morning and just tell us everything at once? It's 3.03, we kind of figured you weren't coming tonight. It'll be there, they call first thing. It'll be there by 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Missed the first, uh, the first uh, scheduled exhibition that he was supposed to be at. At 1 o'clock, the luggage finally shows up. And I'm thinking, wow, we live in a world filled with people who continually test our patience. The question is, and yet also the Bible tells us that one of the great qualities of God's love is that of patience. Now, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in this particular passage, we learn that God's love is very practical and should have an impact on how we treat others. It's very practical. And it also gives us a good understanding of how we are expected by God to treat people in our life. In 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 1, we read these words. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. It says, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong that's suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, if you'll recall, in our last meeting together, we began examining the two positive descriptions that God has given us as they relate to his love for people. There's two words that summarize the love of God. The first word is found in verse 4, and that is patience or long-suffering. And the second is that of kindness. The words the love appear before both of these verb forms. So technically, it would be read literally this way. The love, speaking of the love of God specifically, the love of God is patient, the love of God is kind. Now the present tense also indicates that it's a continuing lifestyle. God's love continues to be patient with us. God's love continues to be kind to us. In verse uh, 31 of the, ver of the chapter before, chapter 12, verse 31, uh, we're told that I show you still a more excellent way. When he says, I show you, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, I show you, it's visible. People around you can see it. God's love is patient and is, and is visible to people in, our, in, in your life. Uh, also, if, since 
And if and since it's so that you and I have come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Romans 5, 5, that through his spirit, he pours God's love into our hearts so that through us, God can then love people in our life and treat them the way that he wants to treat them, and he does it through us. And what an interesting concept that is if you stop and think about it, because to most of the world, God is invisible. Even though the Bible says the heavens declare the handiwork of God, the evidence of God is all around, that God even puts within the heart of every human being the reality that, you know what, God has created man, as the Bible says, in his image and in his likeness. You know, it was interesting last night, we were discussing, I I went to a a movie last night with a friend, and uh, we saw the movie The Hurricane. It was a true story, a a true story of an account of a man named Reuben Hurricane Carter who was imprisoned, unjustly so. And what's fascinating about that is, is that we're sitting in a theater, and we don't know anything about anybody else that's sitting there with us. But there is something inherently placed within the heart of men that, and speaking of men, I'm speaking of mankind, all of you are included, that within our hearts is an understanding to some degree of good and bad, of right and of wrong. And what's fascinating about that is, even those who deny the existence of God, you can question and challenge them that, well, then how do you know something is right or how do you know something is wrong? Why is it that when we sit in a group of people, such as in this case in a movie theater, and at the end, when when justice is served, people spontaneously break out in applause? Because they recognize injustice throughout. They recognize the wrong that's being done. They recognize that, you know what, there's something within the heart of of human beings that says, you know what, we want justice to be served. We want what is right to be recognized. We want what is wrong to be punished. And yet these same people will say, but God is a God of love, and you know what, because of that, everything will be forgiven, and everybody's going to go to heaven, and that's just the way it is. And I say, that's nonsense. That's foolishness, and even within our own hearts, we recognize and understand that somehow, somewhere along the line, justice must be served, a price must be paid. Isn't that fascinating? So when we look at this, we begin to recognize and understand that if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and God, the the Holy Spirit, lives within you, he pours out his love through you into the lives of other people around you. See, we are to treat people as God would treat them through us. Now, I say that for this reason. To the world, a God is invisible. Our God's invisible. Other than the the recognition that he says is is declared before all of mankind, how the universe come into existence. All you got to do is look around and see the handiwork of God. This is no accident. This This is nonsense when you believe it. It just all happened to come about. You know what? I mean, it takes more foolish faith to believe something like that than to believe that there's a creator. When would you walk outside and say, look at that car in my driveway. It just happened to evolve into it. A whole bunch of metal blew together when the Santa Ana winds came. And wow, that's a pretty cool looking car. Nobody would buy that. They'd think you were nuts. But because somebody's got PhDs, which stands for piled higher and deeper in this case, and they stack them all up, and then they say, and they add zeros behind it, the whole world goes, ooh, and ah, they must be smarter than me. God says, Jesus himself, come unto me with a childlike faith, because even a child recognizes the existence of God. It's only as we begin to grow and develop that all the foolishness and the philosophies of men come and crowd out God's existence in our life and we turn from him and we turn to the foolishness of the world. There's a way that seems right to man, the Bible says, but its end is destruction. So as we look at this and understand, what God is saying is this, Chuck, as my child here on this earth, I want to love people through you. And if you will love them as I intend them to be loved, if you will be patient and you will be kind, Guess what? They, you will have an entry or an entree into their life 
so that you can tell them of the glorious God that you serve. Isn't that a wonderful thing? As we look at this, we begin to realize, you know, in our last session, uh, we focused on the patience of God's love. Today, we're going to gain a better understanding of what is meant when we read in the Bible that God's love is kind. Last time, we focused specifically on what it means that God is patient and that we are to be patient as his, as his people. But now we're going to look specifically at the idea or the concept that God's love is kind. One of the most beautiful qualities of spiritual love is that of kindness. And I think we will demonstrate that as we look at what the Bible says about it. Kindness is the opposite of attack, harshness, or insensitivity to human needs. Kindness wants to help and be a blessing more than a burden uh, or a hardship to those around us. Unfortunately, at times, um, we can be insensitive to the needs of others. And from what I've been told, I guess men are particularly guilty of this insensitivity. Um, uh, one, one recent story I think will illustrate it. You know, as some of you know, my partner and I are in the construction business, and uh, you know, there aren't usually a lot of construction type stories that, uh, that I care to hear or, or what I care to share them uh, with you. So there, I, I, there is a little bit of discretion in my heart. Um, but uh, this particular one, I think I can share it, and, and uh, I'll take a chance on doing it. But just because it shows uh, some, sometimes we're not as sensitive as we need to meet the needs of others. Three men were working in a high-rise project building, and uh, the names were Steve, Bill, and Charlie. Steve falls off the building, and he's killed instantly. So as, uh, as the ambulance takes the body away, Charlie says, you know, I think one of us should go tell his wife what happened. Bill says, okay, well, I'm pretty good at that sensitive stuff. I'll go do it. So two hours later, he comes back carrying a six-pack. Charlie says, well, wh where did you get that? He said, Steve's wife gave it to me. He said, Steve's wife gave it to you. That's unbelievable. You told the lady your husband was dead and she gave you the beer? He says, well, not exactly. When she answered the door, I said to her, oh, so you must be Steve's widow. <laughs> and uh, she said, no, I'm not a widow. And he said, want to bet me a six-pack? Brutal. See, now, I know every guy here is dying laughing on the inside, but we just can't let it out till later. We understand that. Can you imagine? I mean, some of you ladies are going, man, that's my husband. That's exactly, I'm trying to teach them to be more sensitive, but it's like, you know, I turn it into a, some kind of competition or challenge. Can you imagine the insensitivity? Some of us can be pretty insensitive. You know, when we read the word kind, if you've got your Bible, when we read the word kind in the Bible, it's important towards our understanding that we recognize that forms of the Greek word for kind appear 19 times, different times in the New Testament. Sometimes the word is translated goodness. The basic word means useful, serviceable, adapted to its purpose. It often means excellent or valuable as a result of its usefulness. Isn't that interesting? It's useful, it's excellent, it's valuable. Kindness, as we demonstrate it to the lives of those around us, as we treat other people, it will be valuable to them. It will be useful to them. It'll meet a need in their life at the moment that we express this form of kindness. It's interesting, too, is when it's referring to food, that it can mean that which is healthful or tasty. Isn't that interesting? That God's love, which is patient, and God's love, which is kind, is good for us, and it tastes good 
when we experience it. Come and taste the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God. Isn't that interesting as we think about that? The word kindness or kind in the Old Testament reflects several different words. For example, in this passage in 2 Chronicles, we read, If you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. The word translated kind is a common Hebrew word for good. He's saying that if you are good to these people, they will respond in like manner. If you are good to them, they will notice that and they will respond accordingly. In Genesis 24, 49, the servant of Abraham uh, says this, If you will deal kindly and truly with my master, you will tell me. That word is translated often in the Old Testament as loving kindness or mercy. It's a major word for kindness. Loving kindness or mercy. Probably the best way to get a feel for a word or a thought or an idea in the Bible is to examine the many references that God gives us. And what we would call that is a word study. If you ever have an interest in a, st a specific topic in the Bible, then what I would recommend you do is you go and you look up every time that word is used in Scripture. And you will get a very wonderful uh, picture that's painted for you of what that, mean, what that word means. Last time we kind of gave you a broad, uh, a broad uh, brush stroke of the word patience and all that that entailed. Today we'll look at kindness and what's involved in that. But if you go through and you pick out that word and you look at how many times it's used, you'll walk away with a very clear understanding of what God, the message that God's conveying. In Nehemiah 9.17 describes the character of God, we read this. You are God, ready to pardon, gracious merciful, slow to anger, which we talked about, patience, abundant in kindness, and you did not forsake them. Speaking of God's people who turned their back on God and walked from him, God was abundant in kindness, and because of his kindness, he never wrote those people off. Because of his patience, he didn't step in and immediately judge them. He was slow to boil and respond. In Psalm, uh, Psalm uh, 138, too, we read, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. There's the word again. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Psalm 63, 3, your loving kindness. We, read, we often sing this as a, as a, as a hymn or a, a, a song. You know, thy loving kindness is better than life. God, your kindness in my life is better than life itself. It's so good and it's so sweet. Romans 2.4 refers to the riches of God's kindness when we read this. Do you, describe this. do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, it's the goodness of God, the kindness of God, that leads us to repentance? Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Luke 6.35 says that God is kind to the unthankful and evil, that the Lord is gracious the word gracious is the same word translated kind in Ephesians 2, 7. It says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In Titus chapter 3, one of the great passages that deal with a clear understanding of God's message to all of humanity, when we ask the question, what do I got to do, God, to get right with you and have confidence and assurance that the day that I die, that I will leave this life and I will go to heaven and be in your presence. This passage, along with a number of others, helps very clearly to understand what God's criteria is for that particular event. It says in verse 3, it says, For we also were once foolish ourselves. We were foolish at a point in our past, 
We are disobedient to God. We are deceived about what God expects in our life. We are deceived about what is right, what is wrong, what it takes to get into heaven. We are confused about all of these things. We were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. We did that which God says we shouldn't do and we called uh, wrong right. And we did all of these things because we didn't know any better. We did what came natural because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous. There's sin inherently in every one of us. And we were doing all the things that God said were wrong. Sometimes, oftentimes, without even knowing that that standard existed. We were once that way. It says, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. He says, but... But there was, a, there was a changing condition that takes place. That's the way it used to be, but something happened at a point in time that now turned us and, and led us in a new direction, a different direction. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All of those old ways of life are behind us, and now we go in a whole new way of living. And part of that new way of living is loving people patiently and kindly, as God says that we should. He says, so that's behind us. Here's what lies ahead. But when what? Notice, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. The word appearance refers specifically to the appearance or manifestation of Jesus Christ in human flesh which we celebrate every Christmas. God became man. God is with us. Emmanuel. When God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, the kindness of God was demonstrated in a very physical, practical way. Man could now see how much God loved them because he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Man could now see what before they didn't really understand because we could see the life of Jesus Christ. We could see how he lived. We can see how patient he was toward others. We can see how kind he was. God is love. God is patient. He is kind. Those two qualities summarize everything we need to know about the love of God. Jesus was kind. He was patient toward those around him. He says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Notice what he says. He saved us, what? Not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness. It's not anything that you and I could ever do. He didn't save us because we earned our right to be saved from the consequences of sin and judgment. We didn't do any of that. It's based on what? His kindness reached out and met a need in our life. And that's what kindness does. Kindness takes into consideration what the need of the receiver is and the ability of the giver to give it. Kindness. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but look, but on the contrary... For all of those who think that they can somehow earn the, 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 the right to be in, in God's presence after this life. For all those who think they can earn the right that God has to forgive you because of the way you live your life. God says in contrast, contrary to that wrong thinking, he says this. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by God's grace in His grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For we've been saved by God, faith. We've been saved by faith and not of works. It's a gift from God. It's by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works. It's a gift from God. So that nobody can ever boast or brag that somehow they deserve to be in heaven. We are all trophies of God's kindness, His grace, His unmerited favor. We need to recognize and understand that to being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Notice that. 
Titus 3, 4 speaks of the kindness and the love of God, our Savior. Isn't that interesting as you go down through it? I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in our culture. Somehow or another, most of us believe, and wrongly so, that we deserve God's grace. And, and, and that's impossible because the mere word grace itself means that we get what we do not deserve and he withholds from us what we do deserve. We saw that with God's patience. Instead of judging us instantly, which he could do, he knows our thoughts, he knows our actions, while we try to get blow smoke at other people, he knows everything that's going on in our life, and he could step in instantly and judge us, but because of he is slow to, to, to boil, or he is long-suffering, or he is patient, he gives us opportunities to repent, to change our mind and heart about what we're doing, and to confess and agree with him what we're doing is wrong, and he forgives us. God is patient. But not only is he patient, but he is kind, which means he's reaching out to meet the most innermost needs of our life. What a wonderful thing that is. Read the Psalms on your own. I'll go through Psalms. Pick out the word loving kindness, and you'll see how many times his loving kindness and mercy go hand in hand. It's because he is kind that he's merciful. It's because he is kind that he meets our need. It's because he is kind he is sensitive to that need. And so as we look at all this kindness, uh, as God, uh, kindness responds to others and treats others as God responds and treats others. It says kindness is a fundamental characteristic along with patience of God's love. It reflects a concern for others and a desire to help. And it doesn't ignore, neglect, or withdraw from those who have a need, but it steps up to the plate and it gets the job done. See, there are four fundamental characteristics that, that will be true of a person's life. And I guess the self-examination is this. Ask yourself this. Am I a kind person? We asked last time, am I a patient person? And many have discovered that, you know what, I'm patient when, it, when it's convenient and impatient when it's not. I'm patient towards those who are patient and impatient toward those who are impatient, but I think I'm still patient anyway. And it's an amazing thing how subtly we're, we're deceived by all of this. And, you know, we're, we're in the same conversation I was discussing with a friend, I said, you know, isn't it interesting, are you a patient person? Oh, in most areas of my life. Well, aren't we all? Let's think about it. There are a lot of areas in our lives that, you know what, we're very patient because, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's only in the areas that we think are big deals that we become impatient. And even become more impatient when we realize the people around us are patient in those areas. Don't they see how important that area is? So we become impatient because they're, they're, they're patient and vice versa. Now the whole idea of kindness as we'll go through it, there are four characteristics uh, of, of your life and mine that should be true if we're to pass the exam. The exam is this, am I a patient, per am I a patient person and am I a kind person? Let's just look at and focus on kindness. Four things will be true of your life if you're a kind person. Number one, you'll be compassionate toward the needs of others. If you are indeed a kind person, you will be compassionate towards the needs of others. The best way to understand compassion is to take a look at a couple of examples in Scripture. I want to take a look at one from the Old Testament, and then we'll look at one from the New Testament. And we'll see how the thought uh, uh, is conveyed in both, and that it's identical. The idea of being compassionate towards the needs of others is found very clearly in these references. If you've got your Bible, look at Jeremiah chapter 52. It's in the Old Testament. It's after Psalms, biggest book in the middle of your Bible. Go to the right of that, and you're going to find the book of Jeremiah. At the end of the book of Jeremiah, there is a fascinating account that helps us to understand what it means to be kind and meet the needs of those around us. Jeremiah chapter 52, 
We'll start at the end, toward the end of the chapter, verse 31. And what a beautiful picture of kindness. It says, Now it came about in the 37th year of the exile, or the captivity, of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, showed favor to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and he brought him out of prison. 37 years, this man is in prison. Now Nebuchadnezzar's son takes over, and on the first year of his, of his throne, he goes and he sends for Jehoiakim, who has been in prison for 30 years, and he brings him out of prison. It says, then he spoke, notice, he spoke kindly to this man, and he set his throne above the thrones of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim changed his prison clothes, had his meals in the king's presence regularly all the days of his life. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king of Babylon, a daily portion all the days of his life until the day of his death. What a beautiful picture of the kindness that was expressed to meet the need of another human being. For 37 years, this former king was in prison. When the new king took over, he sent for that king out of the dungeon and out of the prison. He brought him before his presence. And I'm sure there were a lot of anticipation about what kind of conversation was going to take place. Was this guy going to kill him, which he could have? Was he going to, you know, was he going to be angry and vicious and vindictive and, and vengeful with him? And he brings him before him, and in his presence, he speaks kind words to him. Useful words to him. Valuable words to him. Words that meant something to this man in the condition that he was in in such a way that it lifted his spirits from the dungeon in which they were, were, were in captivity for 37 years. He spoke kind words to him. And on top of speaking kindly to him, he then demonstrated this kindness by taking him and changing his old ratty prison clothes, giving him new clothes, putting him at the king's table, feeding him in the presence of all, and then gave him a food allowance, a daily allowance, and he said to him, for the rest of your life, you will have no wants, and I will take care of you until the day that you die. He found favor in the eyes of the king. Did he deserve favor? There's nothing that would indicate that he did. He was an enemy. Did he deserve favor? Absolutely not. He found favor. When I was reading this passage, the first, the first thought that God put in my heart was that in Genesis we read the end Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And there are many people who want to believe that somehow Noah was different than the wicked generation in which he lived, that he deserved God's kindness, that he earned God's kindness, that God saw him and he was different, his family is different than everybody else. But the reality of the passage is very simple, and that's this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Because God chose him above everybody else that was there. You see, many of us think that when God shows favor to us, it's because somehow or another there's something more uh, worth redeeming in our life than those of the lives of people around us. But the reality is that's not the case. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord because God expressed kindness to him. I have found favor in the eyes of the Lord, not because of any potential that was in me, but because God chose to express his kindness to me 
in the person of Jesus Christ, whom he sent to die for my sins. And he has expressed the same kindness toward all who would believe in Jesus Christ. We find favor because God is in a position to determine whether or not he wants to be kind to us or not. And the Bible says that he is kind to us, that we find favor. It's interesting because, you know what, the focus isn't supposed to be on the recipient. The focus is supposed to be on the giver. Why would we focus on Noah when we should be focusing on the graciousness of God who was kind to him and chose him out of a wicked generation whose thoughts were evil continually before God? It's God who is kind. It's God who is patient. It's God who reaches out and reaches those who believe they're unreachable and none of us are. Because there is nowhere where you and I can go that we are beyond the gracious, loving reach of the hand of God. God is kind. The second example, if you want to look at it with me, is in Luke chapter 10. Look at Luke chapter 10, and we'll see another picture of compassion. The difficulty for me as I read these passages is recognizing and understanding that sometimes in my life, I can be a little too selective as far as the people I believe are redeemable. The people I believe should be reached out and touched with kindness. The people that I believe have potential that, you know what, maybe if I do this, then God can somehow get a hold of their heart. And I'm convicted by that as I read this and recognize and understand that my thoughts aren't God's thoughts. My ways aren't God's ways. I, I, I'm messed up. I'm seeing it all wrong. I, I'm not seeing it from his perspective. Because from God's perspective, there's no one who's unredeemable. There's no one who is more reachable. There's no one who is more deserving or warrants God's grace more than another. It's an equal playing field. We're all in the same boat. And we need to recognize and understand that we can't be so discriminating as to decide who should be reached and who shouldn't be reached. And this passage will even further cement that argument when we read in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, and behold, a certain man, or I mean, sorry, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? What do I got to do to get into heaven? What test do I got to take? What, what grade do I have to get? What do I have to do? And he said to him, What is written in the law, and how does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he answered to him, and he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to be patient towards? Who am I supposed to express kindness to? I mean, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, well, I'm going to tell you who your neighbor is. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him, and they went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But, contrast to the two that were the other side of the street, there's another man that came down the road. And he was a certain Samaritan, which really got to this Jewish lawyer, because Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They had an ongoing battle. They hated each other. They weren't patient towards each other, and they certainly weren't kind to one another. So he chose a Samaritan and said, who was on a journey, came upon him, the man who had been beaten up, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. 
When he saw him, he felt compassion. Oftentimes it means he is moved with compassion. He, saw compa he felt compassion. He was moved with compassion. And notice what he did. And he came to him. He bandaged up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy, compassion, kindness toward him. And Jesus said, go and do the same thing. It's not hard, is it? I have found it as I study scripture, it's not hard to understand what God requires of our life. It's just hard to be obedient. It's hard to get over our prejudices. It's hard to get over our own personal hang-ups. It's hard to be inconvenienced by being obedient what God tells us to do. It's not hard to understand the message. It's just hard to do it. James 2, 4 through, 4, uh, 4 through 6, we learned as we went through 14 through 16. It says, now what use is it, my brothers, for a man to say he has faith? If his faith, if his actions do not correspond with it, could that sort of faith save anyone's soul? If a fellow man or woman has no clothes to wear and nothing to eat, and one of you says, hey, good luck to you. I hope you'll keep warm and find enough to eat, and yet give them nothing to meet their physical needs, what on earth is good about that? You notice that? See, moving with compassion means you, God takes us from right here, and he moves us in a direction in which we are acting according to what God would have us do. The Samaritan was moved. He went from one place to another. He didn't stand there and go, wow, it looks like that guy can use some help. Wow, he looks messed up. Ooh, I bet that beating hurt. Wow, I sure hope someone stops by and helps the guy before he dies. He saw and he was moved with compassion. He was moved from here to going down here and helping the guy. He did something. Compassion, if nothing else, this is a message in itself and several messages, but compassion in summary is this. Compassion equals action. Kindness equals compassion equals action. He came to the guy. He stood over the man. He bent down. He bandaged him. He poured uh, salve on his, on his wounds. He put him on his own uh, beast of burden. He brought him to an inn. He stayed the night there taking care of him through the night. And then when he left because he had business to do, he told the innkeeper, you keep taking care of him. I'll come back through and I'll pay you whatever it is that I owe you. He didn't write him off. He followed up. He followed through. He picked up the tab. 1 John 3, 16 through 17 says, and this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, then how in the world can the love of God be in him? The test. You know, the Bible says examine yourself to see if, whether or not you're really a child of God. To examine yourself to see if you are uh, uh, in the truth. To examine yourself to see if the Spirit of God really lives within your heart. And to examine ourselves is very simple. And the examination for you is this. If you see another person in need... Are you compelled to do something about it? Or do you walk away and ignore it and hope somebody else does or feel bad momentarily, but you continue to go about your life because you don't want to be inconvenienced? Uh, you know what? I'll tell you what. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where if that is who you are or who I am, that we meet the test of what a believer is all about. In fact, the Bible says on the contrary, you're deceiving yourself and you're not really in the faith. 
Why? Because if God's presence is within your life and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, God never turns his back on the needs of people. You will never find an account anywhere in Scripture when Jesus, as he walked the face of the earth, saw someone in need and ignored the need. You will see he was compassionate, that he was moved with compassion and kindness. And he reaches out and he meets the need of those around him. You'll never find a case where Jesus said, hey, I don't got time for that. I got an agenda and I, man, oh, I got an agenda and I better get right to it. I don't have time for that. You know, what's fascinating to me is that, you know, and, and being the deep theologian that some of you recognize that I am, I get some of my best stuff through like sports and, and things that, you know, things that are deep, you know, that have a lot of meaning in this lifetime. And, uh, but I also get stuff in other very strange and unusual places. For example, I learned a lesson about kindness as I was reading Winnie the Pooh to, to uh, our kids when they were growing up. And I'll just share a little bit about this with you to see what a well-rounded guy that I really am. So, Winnie the Pooh. Here's Winnie the Pooh. Pooh Bear's walking along the riverbank. Eeyore, his stuffed donkey friend. Everybody familiar with Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore? All right, good. If not, it's going to be you know, tough to follow. But I think that you can anyway. But anyway, so Eeyore, the stuffed donkey friend, suddenly appears. He's floating downstream on his back, of all things. And obviously, he's troubled about the possibility of drowning. Pooh calmly asks Eeyore, have you fallen in? Trying to appear in complete control, the anguished the donkey answers, silly of me, wasn't it? Pooh overlooks his friend's pleading eyes and remarks that Eeyore really should have been more careful. In greater need than ever, Eeyore politely thanks him for the advice, even though he didn't ask for it. Almost with a yawn, Pooh Bear notices, hey, I think you're sinking. Or in the updated translation, hey, dude, I think you're going down. And... Uh, with this is only a hint of hope, drowning Eeyore asked Pooh if he would mind rescuing him. So Pooh Bear pulls him out of the river. Eeyore apologizes for being such a bother. And Pooh, still unconcerned, yet ever so courteous, responds, Don't be silly. You should have said something sooner. Now, I don't know about you. But I can just picture the whole thing because I see it happening to me every day of my life as we look around at how we respond to one another in our times of need. Well, gee, you should have said something sooner. I would have helped you. Forget about the fact I'm embarrassed. Forget about the fact that I'm going down. Forget about the fact I am screaming with my eyes. Please save my life. Pooh says, you know, you shouldn't have been playing on the bank. You slipped down and fell. And you know what? Well, at least you're smart enough to turn face up so at least you can get some air. And, and, and he was like, yeah, I'm drowning, man. You mind helping me? Don't want to bother you. Now, we laugh at that. But how many times do we have people in our own life who are drowning and they're going down and their eyes are pleading for kindness and mercy and compassion and we're not going to do anything till they ask us? Would you have, you should ask. I didn't know. When was the last time anybody who was having problems in their life called you and said, would you help me please? Get something straight. It is embarrassing and humbling to need help. And not many people will reach out and say, would you please help me? This is what's going on in my life. And what I'm here to tell you is this. As God's people, we should never have to wait for the call. We should see it before it even happens. We should be so in tune to what's going on in the lives of people around us that we know what they're going to go through before they even go through it, and we step in and we intervene and we help out before they even know they're going to need help. 
Don't you ever sit back and wait for someone to say, would you help me? You'll wait a long time. And to think somehow you're right before God and you go, God, well, you know what? Help him if anybody needs it, but no one's ever asked. Who's going to ask you? Compassion sees the needs of others and acts upon it oftentimes before they even know what the need is themselves. Kindness is offering a car to a person who needs transportation when you know they don't have a ride and you hear that something happened or the car broke down and you, can, I, can I take you there? Can I take you where you need to go? I've got an extra car, do you want to borrow it? Kindness is offering financial help to a person that you hear is having financial problems and, and you realize that they can use an extra dollar or two or they can use some groceries that you can take to their house and leave on their porch with a note of encouragement to lift their spirits without embarrassing them as if somehow or another they've become some kind of a community project service for you. Compassion or kindness is, is, is babysitting to give a weary mother and dad a time alone for they can rest and, and recuperate from the weariness of raising children. And any of us who have ever had children know how, how demanding that can be. But kindness is making a call and saying, look, I want to help you. Hey, why don't you guys have a date night? Or why don't you just hang out at the house and we'll come over and pick up the kids and we'll take them to a movie or we'll bring them to our house. We'll keep them for the weekend. Kindness is reaching out, meeting the needs of another person because you see what they're going through even though they never ask you for help. Kindness is sending a note or calling another person who just lost a parent or a spouse or a child or a job, feeling their loss as your own. Kindness is a friend who offers as you start out in business to give you some work because he knows what it's like to get started and they want to help out, even though there's nothing that you deserve at that point in time because you don't even have a track record to prove that you can do it, other than the fact they just want to be kind to you to help you get going. Kindness. Kindness may be forgiving another de a debt that somebody has that they owe you and being able to go to them and say, look, you know what, I know what you're going through and we want to forgive your debt. Kindness is waiting up for luggage so your guests can get a good night's sleep. <laughs> it was getting a little bit heavy in here. I felt it. <laughs> Kindness is a word of discouragement when a person is down. Kindness is a football player who walks over to a snapper who's center who centers the ball with the game on the line and the playoffs on the line, and he centered the ball 50,000 times in his life, but this one particular time with the game on the line, he can't get it off the ground, and it rolls back all the way to the kick, to the, to the holder, and he can't get the kickoff. And they lose the game 14 to 13, and they go home instead of going on to a championship game. And kindness is a teammate who walks over and puts his arm around the guy when everybody else thinks he's got the bubonic plague, and he's a scourge of humanity. And there's nothing redeemable in him. Kindness goes over and says, hey man, don't worry about it. Because you know what? There are a whole bunch of plays during the course of a game that we all could have made differently. So this isn't just about you, brother. Kindness is walking over to a teammate who strikes out with the winning run at third base. And you lose an important game. But you walk over and you say, hey man, don't worry about it. We'll get him next time. Kindness is reaching out and meeting the need of another person even though you don't have them ask you to come and help me, they just do it anyway. Kindness is people that come and bring food to your house because they know that you have death in your family. And you're overwhelmed by their generosity and their grace and their kindness because they know your need even though you don't even completely understand it. Kindness is visiting someone in the hospital or in prison 
even though your schedule is so full, you're not even sure how you're going to make up for the lost time, but you know that they have a need and they need the presence of someone who will encourage them. Kindness is praying for others and being committed to do so. One man wrote that compassion is not a snob gone slumming. Anybody can salve his conscience by an occasional foray into knitting for the spastic home. Did you ever take a real trip down inside the broken heart of a friend to feel the sob of the soul, the raw red crucible of emotional agony? Have you ever done that? To have this become almost as much yours as that of your soul-crushed neighbor? Then to sit down with him and just silently weep? That, my friends, is the beginning of compassion. See, when you're kind, you have compassion for others who are in need, and you do something about it. And you do something about it. See, also, when you're kind, you're forgiving. Passage to memorize. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It's a command, it's not an option, not a suggestion as many of us make many things in the Word of God. God suggests this, no, He commands it. Be kind, it's imperative. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's not an option, it's not a suggestion. It is a command of God to God's people. And the reason I say it's to God's people is because it is not natural for the natural man to forgive those who have harmed them. It's just not. It is supernatural. It is divine in, or, in origin. Be kind. Tender-hearted. Opposite of callous, isn't it? Hard-hearted, cold-hearted. You ever see a person who's got a cold heart? The way you find out they have a cold heart is they're not willing to forgive. Be kind, tender-hearted, compassionate. Forgiving others just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the standard. Matthew 18 goes into great detail. Read it on your own sometime. But what could anybody have done to you in your life that you're not willing to forgive when you consider everything that you did in rebellion against God and God wiped your slate clean? Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness is not a natural thing. But it is possible and available to those who are in Christ. You and I have the ability, through the power of God in our life, to forgive what at times seems to be the most difficult thing in the world to do, to forgive those who have harmed us. But God's take is very simple. Life's way too short. Not only is life way too short, but I want people to see how you can forgive them in the most unforgivable of circumstances. Then they'll begin to understand that there's nothing that they could have ever done in their life that Jesus didn't die for them as well if they would choose to receive him and believe in him for forgiveness. Wow, good stuff. Kindness is also good. We see that translated often. Kindness is good. It's good. And it's good specifically, read this, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 38. Read it on your own to really get a feel for what it means to be kind according to the Bible. But Jesus teaches us in this particular passage that we are to be kind to those, we are to be good to those who are our enemies. We're to be good to those who harm us. In that passage he says, you know what, if somebody smacks you in the face, turn and let them smack the other side of your cheek. 
And it's not because he's trying to make a point that we're to be pushovers or kicked around or be doormats or all the things that we talk about, you know, wallflowers, milk toast, uh, you know, stepping stones, whatever. That's not what the Bible's teaching at all. What God is saying is more important is this. When you and I are good to those who aren't good to us, it is a tremendous testimony of the love of God, patience, and kindness that now indwell our hearts. It's easy to be good to those who are good to us, to be kind to those who are kind to us, to be patient to those who are patient to us. It is godly to be patient to those who are impatient, to be good to those who are mean to us, who are harmful to us, who are vengeful toward us, who are hateful and spiteful to us, and to respond in a way that's pleasing to God. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, when he was insulted, did not insult back. When he was reviled, did not revile in return. But he kept entrusting himself continuously to God the Father, who is a righteous judge. He spoke words of kindness, even as they were killing him. Even as he was walking with the cross on his back, he spoke kind words to the women who were there, who were torn apart by what they saw, and he spoke kindly to them on his journey to the cross. He spoke kindly to, to the soldiers that stood next to him and gambled away his clothes. He spoke kindly to all of those, even those who ran away from him and deserted him. He spoke kindly to all of them because the need at the moment in their life was for a word of encouragement that lifted their soul from the dungeon of despair. He spoke kindly. He is kind. That's why the Bible says, taste and see the kindness or the goodness of God and taste and see if it is not wonderful. Isn't that great? And the last thing is this. God's love is also a relief. And what I mean by that is it relieves the burdens of those around us. That God's love relieves the burden of those around us. It doesn't add to them. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, we read, Come to me, all you, are la all you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy which is translated kind. Read it this way. My yoke is kind and my burden is light. Jesus used a, a word picture that they understood in that culture, and that's this. When they were training an ox to, to go out into the fields, they would take an existing or established oxen that was there who had already done the work, and they would put the burden or the yoke upon that oxen. And there was another, if you've ever seen it, there was one, one here, and then there would be another one that would be there for the one who would walk alongside of it. Well, what they would do is they would take another oxen, an inexperienced oxen, they would have it just walk with the experienced one, but they would never tie the yoke onto that oxen. The oxen would just go, and that one would just walk right next to them. See, the yoke was easy or kind. And what Jesus is saying is this, look, I've done the same with you. I've taken that burden from you, and I am walking with it myself. My yoke is is easy or kind to you and that you don't have to pull your share of the weight, I will do it all for you. Isn't that great? You don't have to hold up your end of the bargain, I will do it all for you. But, but, but Lord, why would you do that? Because I'm kind. Because I'm good. Because I want to relieve your burden. Cast all your burdens upon me and I'll care for you. Why are you hanging on to him when God says, hey, give him to me and, and I'll take care of him for you? He's kind. Sometimes we don't recognize his kindness. So in review, as we look at this, what is kindness? Kindness is being compassionate and meeting the needs of others. 
even though sometimes they don't even know what their need is, but because you're so sensitive to the needs of others, you know what it is before they even know what it is and you respond accordingly. It moved to action, takes you from this point and moves you to another point. It's forgiving, tender-hearted, forgiving others just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Don't forget Jesus said this, you know what, uh, hey, forgive others. That God will forgive you as we forgive others. We'll talk more in, in a, uh, well, in fact, we'll talk more about it next week. Goodness, to return good things to those who harm us so that as a testimony of the, of the kindness and the love of God that's in your life. And the last thing is this, let's be a relief to those around us and not add to their burdens. As I thought about it, I was thinking, man, isn't it about time that you and I as God's children reflect God's patience and his kindness in how we treat others? Because God's love is practical. And God's love can be seen in how we treat others. The question for you is this. Are you patient? And are you kind? And if you are, I will guarantee you that the love of God will be seen in your hearts. Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for uh, the word that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I know as it's gone out this morning, even in my own heart, that there are areas in my life that, uh, that I can work on. And, and certainly areas where there can be improvement made. And the improvement is just a matter of being yielding and obedient to your direction in my life. God, I just thank you that the love of God was poured out through your Holy Spirit into the lives of those who trust in Jesus Christ. And that because of him and what he's done in our life, that we have the capacity to love others and to treat others as you yourself would have them treated through us. God, help us to be more patient people. Help us to be more kind and compassionate and sensitive and forgiving and good, and, and, and those who relieve the burdens of others rather than dump additional burdens on their hearts. God, we just thank you and we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.